0: I, starting, uh, I would like to start out by saying thank you. We have gotten the latest statistics and numbers and analytics in, and Real Estate Coaching Radio continues to be the number one listened to daily podcast for agents. The listenership continues to increase, and I really appreciate that. It's because of all of you. It's because uh, you guys are letting other agents know, and it means the world to Julie and I. When we first started doing this podcast, Julie, are you in your studio? Julie Harris? When we first started doing this podcast, we were not sure actually whether or not we were going to have um, as broad of an audience as we do now. We weren't actually sure whether or not we were going to resonate with the masses of people that we have because our message is not for everyone. Our message is about doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. And frankly, there's very few people, especially in a seller's market, that want to hear what we have to say. Now the market's over. We're noticing a lot of people are paying attention because the reality of it is, is if you want ever-increasing long-term success in any aspect of life, it really does come down to doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. We say that continuously because I know some of you guys are spending all your time looking for some sort of secret, looking for some sort of shortcut. That's it. That's the only thing. That's the only thing they'll ever be. Now, obviously, you can uh, follow in the footsteps of others. You can, you know, Premier Coaching is the best shortcut to success in real estate that we've ever come across. All those things are true, but really at the end of the day, even with Premier Coaching, you can even with any best training, best book, best mentor, if you don't do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, you're not going to get anything from that. So, yeah, I wasn't sure that that message would resonate because so many people out there just are looking for the easy button. Social networking is the was the perceived easy button. That came and went. You know, teams were the perceived easy button. That came and went. Marketing now for a lot of you, perceived easy button, that's going to come and go. Buying buyer leads, y'all notice how that's sort of a fad that's, you know, seemingly quickly dying? Have you noticed how people are not just all crazy about buying buyer leads anymore? That's a fad. We have been telling you guys that for years. Buying buyer leads is another one of those easy button things that's coming, that went, and now it's gone, or it soon will be. And there will be something else. Somebody else will come. Working your centers of influence and past clients. A lot of you, that is something we advocate, of course, but that becomes your only thing, and that does not give you consistent business. Again, centers of influence and past clients are the easy button. The way to know whether or not you're actually truly living the doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level lifestyle, if you will, or work lifestyle, is how often you're actually putting yourself in a position to hear the words no. And that's kind of a litmus test frankly, of whether or not you truly are serious about your success. Most of you, please remember I told you this, most of you will do anything, will spend money on everything to prevent from ever having to put yourself in a position to hear the words no. The rule that we, su- we frankly, we suggest for all of you is that unless you're putting yourself in the position to hear the words no at least five times a day, and that can't be no from your kid, or no from your spouse or your partner, no from a potential customer, someone who's saying no in one form or another because you asked a question that would have resulted in them making a decision about, for example, signing a contract or lowering a price or things of that nature. That is a pretty high bar for some of you, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? And I ask this question live when Julie and I do events. We'll ask this question probably when we're in New York City next week. With the incredible Douglas Elliman brokerage, we're going to ask the question: How often? How many of you in this room have put yourself in a position to hear the words "no" in the past 24 hours? And if it's like all the other groups we've gone in front of, no one will raise their hand. And then you ask, you expand it: last week, last month, last year. Maybe a few hands go up. But the reality of it is, what most agents are seduced by, and I understand why, what most agents are seduced by is the easy button. And if that's you, and you're wondering why you're not experiencing more and higher levels of success, and not just success now and then, but consistent, ever-increasing levels of success in your business and personal life. You can have that as long as you have the discipline of basically accepting the fact that your success is determined by your willingness to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level. And for most of you, that's putting yourself in a position to hear the words no. And I want to make that really clear because we've had a lot of podcasts, a lot of coaching calls, a lot of email questions lately about how people can essentially – they want to pivot faster. They're in a position where the market's changing. And some of you have listings. Some of you have, and I understand, again, it's not your fault, but it is your fault if you don't take action on the education that most of you are enrolled in with Premier Coaching. If you don't learn what we're asking you to learn with regards to pricing houses, with regards to having conversations with buyers that cause them to feel comfortable moving forward, you're going to have to completely rehab your skill set in this market. How many of you have been listening to us for two or three years and hearing us say that this market was coming? In some markets like New York City, it was already, it, you know, arrived two years ago. How many of you have heard us say this warn you as directly as we possibly could on a podcast, yet you ignored us. Thousands and thousands and thousands. And now you're seeing, unfortunately, that you may be in a a situation where you waited too long and you are waiting and you maybe lost the listing because you didn't essentially do what we asked you to do. You lost the listing when an expired. You lost the listing to a competitor. You you aren't making the money you thought you were going to make. You don't have the pendings you thought you would have already this time of year. It's not too late, guys, but honestly, another three or four months when all the masses and the billions of agents start coming out of the woodwork, the headwinds you're going to have are probably going to be insurmountable. At that point, you're probably going to lose a year. You're going to struggle needlessly for the rest of the year. My suggestion for all of you is you finally take seriously the fact that the new market requires a new skill set. And virtually everything that you did to sell houses in the seller's market and I'm, this is a little dramatic, but it's true. Virtually, virtually everything that you did that worked won't work now. Okay, there's a simple fact. We did a podcast on the, sa- the phases of the, the real estate reset. Go back and listen to that. Just go to our website, timandjulieharris.com and put in the word reset into the uh, search bar that's at the upper right-hand screen, uh, portion of the screen, and you can then find those four podcasts we did, and we'll take you through the different phases, and you guys will find that you are going to uh, self-identify with what phase you're in, and most of you are in phase two or three, by the way, and by you, I mean your markets are. So don't waste time anymore. Don't question. Don't look for more information. Don't think all of a sudden something's going to change. What we're telling you is the truth. What we're telling you is what you need to hear. Now, it's up to you to to decide to no longer needlessly suffer and take action on this information. Julie, welcome to today's podcast.
1: Thank you. It's always great to be here with you. And you know, you mentioned the podcast that we did about the changing market in the phases so that you know where in the change your market is. And we just got off a call with our uh, Harris certified coaches, many of whom are selling at a very high level. And one of them is in the Colorado market. And he mentioned that he was going to use that information. With a two million dollar expired later today, so it's not enough to just stuff your head full of this stuff. You got to take action on this and use it and back up what you're, you know, what you're trying to do on your daily basis, how you're trying to help people. That it was a very, uh, I think, Tim, you would call it, content rich series of podcasts where we drilled down, we were extremely specific on where you are in each of those four phases. So maybe we'll dust that off and redo it soon on the podcast, but it's certainly available there. And I think it was posted on our Facebook page, too, with an outline. So pretty easy stuff to get, but you've really got to use it. So back to you.
0: Or maybe we'll just, we'll just rerun them. Maybe we'll just rerun the podcast and take four days off. We could do that too.
1: (laughs) There's an idea. Maybe we do that. Yeah, yeah, there you
0: go. And remember, you guys can also go to iTunes and um, subscribe to um, Real Estate Coaching Radio, and then iTunes will deliver the day's podcast directly to your iPhone's Stitcher, the same thing, with your Android device. So we are talking about a topic um, that is going to – it sort of should resonate with everybody. This is – something that Julie and I have been putting together in pieces, bits and pieces for the last probably two months. Um, there is a lot of there are a lot of Asians out there who are in their forties and their fifties and sixties and some of them in the seventies who are thinking that the ball has gotten by them. In other words, they don't think that they can be successful. We sometimes also hear this from people who are younger. They don't realize That They still have all the opportunities in the world to be successful. And real estate, the amazing thing about it is real estate does truly offer, for the most part, a level playing field that everyone, regardless of their past education levels or their just all the different things that people like to use as excuses for not being more successful that might be applicable in maybe a normal blue collar career—they aren't here. I mean, you don't have to have a fancy degree. You didn't—you didn't have to have grown up on the right side of the tracks to be successful in real estate. You don't have to be a—you know—certain anything to be successful in real estate. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, share with you five points, and these are some points we're also working on for our, our next next book, and uh, these are some things that are hopefully motivate you guys and. And please write these down, share these with other people. So, the topic of today's call I always say call, that's how long we've been doing live events. (laughs) Yeah. The topic of today's podcast is It's Never Too Late to Hit It Big. It's Never Too Late to Hit It Big. Point number one. There's always a story behind the glory, but if you ever consider that, the overnight success story is usually a decade or two long in struggle. Now, some of these points Julie and I got from um, reading a lot of other things about long term or people that have been most successful at later points in their lives. And prior to today's podcast, I did a little bit of homework on this, and I found some great examples. We always talk about Colonel Sanders as being a great example because he actually didn't become really successful, at least known to be successful until he was in his 60s. But I wanted to have a more diverse group of people to talk about. How about this? Laura Ingalls Wilder. Growing up, Wilder repeatedly moved from places to places with a desire to help her family. She decided to become a teacher. Fast forward. She was 43 years old with her daughter, Rose, encouraged to write a memoir about her childhood, her first attempt at writing her autobiography was rejected several times. Determined to succeed, she spent the next several years improving it. The publishers agreed to publish her work in a form of fiction story for young children. She was 65 years old when her first book was published. She wrote other books uh, that came out when she was in her 70s. I, <laughs> Julie and I, um, that, that's you guys remember that? Those of you who are a Generation Xers, growing up with Little House in the Prairie on the on TV and whatnot, and some of you read the books when you were kids. Well, she didn't actually. Uh, become published and become successful, recognized author until she was 60s and her and her 70s. Julie, did you know that by the way? I know you don't know these people. I using. had forgotten
1: that. Yeah, um, I had forgotten that, and I think that's pretty incredible because you know that was something we grew up on, and I know that it impacted a lot of people. Um, that certainly wasn't overnight. She didn't even get started on it until you know middle 43. age and. Yeah, and then continued. There's a lot of those little house books. It wasn't just the first one. I think there's eight or ten of them, and then, of course, the series and all the rest. So I, I love that more modern story. You're, you're right. You know We use, like, Abraham Lincoln is a, favorite, as a uh, famous story of frustration over and over and over until finally he gets elected president, but I like these more modern examples, too. I got another one. Harry
0: Bernstein. Harry Bernstein encountered an unbearable loneliness after the death of his wife. Uh, This event served as a catalyst to start writing his first published book. Prior to writing it, he worked in different production companies as a magazine editor and a freelance writer until the age of 62. He started writing the book, The Invisible Wall, a love story that broke barriers. When he was 93, (laughs) it recounts his childhood experiences, including the struggle his family underwent during World War I. The book was published when he was 96. So I have a whole bunch of other examples here, guys, but here's the moral of the story. On this, For this first point, stories to back up our first point, uh, ultimately, many people don't experience their greatest levels of success, and this is actually true from a financial perspective too. You, everyone in our country celebrates the, you know, the 20 or 30 something that's making it big. You know, the cover of Forbes magazine is going to be some Sprug who basically, you know, had some big sort of financial liquidity event. But the reality of it is, is most people don't make their most, their peak income until they're like 55. And you got to ask yourself why is that true? And it's the most obvious answer because it takes that long to get good at something. It takes that long so between forty five and like your mid to late fifties are generally speaking your peak earning years. Again, because it takes that long to build the ability to earn that much money because you have all your life experiences that are working for you up to that, you know, that age range. And here's the other thing that's fascinating. A lot of people it takes that long for them to root their own ego out of their ability to make clear decisions that result of them being in a position to help people make money. And when you're younger, you don't realize how omnipresent and destructive your ego is in, in basically clouding really what your highest and truest purpose on this planet is, which is being of service to other people. But the older you get, the more you come in tune with your true you know, mission. And then when that starts to happen – Sure enough, you basically start having a lot more people that want to do business with you, and you start making a lot more money. So those are very fascinating things. Point number two, Julie Harris, yeah, in front of you.
1: Yes, point number two. Most people wouldn't know a good idea if it bit them in the nose. Maybe this is because they've stopped looking. Maybe their inner critic rejects fresh ideas. I think a lot of this probably is what you just mentioned, ego. You know, they think they already know it all, and by you know, by the time you're fill in your age 40 something 50 something even 30 something sometimes are like this well you know I've got enough experience I've got it all figured out and I know what I'm doing so if you're not looking for great ideas and improvements and skill sets and you know upgrading everything well of course you're not going to recognize it when it's right in front of you and I think that's a sad thing I think that you know that that is a temporary thing that we see in our industry where people hit that easy button and they think, well, maybe I'll try this new thing out. They, they start to have that spark, but they don't go into it deep enough to know what those right choices are. So that's something I think to work on. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Most people, most of our best coaching clients come to us. Um, when I mean best, I mean those that are most receptive to being coached in their 40s. And older, frankly. And the reason is, and it's kind of of counterintuitive. I want you to think about that last point. Most people wouldn't know a good idea if it bit them in the nose, maybe because they've stopped looking, maybe because their inner critic refreshes the fresh ideas, rejects the fresh ideas. But here's the thought. When you're younger, and this is, you know, again, this is counterintuitive, when you need the information the most, when you need the coaching the most, when you need the direction the most, people are least likely to be receptive to it. Because their ego keeps them from listening, because their ego thinks that they can figure it out on their own. That's not universally true, of course, but for the most part, when you're younger, you're, there's something inside of you that tells you, I'm supposed to figure this out on my own, I know there's a proven path to getting to the top of the mountain and being successful, but my ego is telling me that I have to do something completely original that has you know, nothing to do with success or just anything that has to do with helping people or even making money, but I have this inner desire to do something completely original because that is your ego trying to feel important. That is you trying to make yourself feel, you know, something that you have never, it's like an unrequited, uh, is that the word, Julie? Did I say it right? Unrequited? Did I say it right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Emotional response that does not have anything to do with business. Once you get older, you've exercised that emotion for the most part. It's still inside of you. But you realize how destructive destructive, destructive it is, and then you start becoming more receptive to following the footsteps of others. And I have to say, one of the things I continuously hear when I get people on the phone in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and even their 70s is that they wish they would have taken – it goes back to the podcast we did recently, 10 uh, – well, I remember the, don't remember the title, but 10 things, every old realtor wishes they would have done differently, I think – and it always goes back to they wish they would have taken a more organized, disciplined approach when they are earlier because they wouldn't have the financial issues that they generally have now. And they finally come to coaching and they say, I'm tired of screwing around. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. I'm tired of basically following these false prophets, be it the easy button, you know, all the easy button people out there. And I want to finally accept that I know that it's doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. And those people are fantastic coaching clients. I know all of you can resonate with what I just said because all of you are some, you know, you're at some part of that bridge of learning and of accepting that the easiest and surefire path is to focus, which is follow one course until successful. Uh, point number three, Julie.
1: Yes, I agree with you completely on that. Point number three is good processes make average people good and good people great. What are your processes? Are you following the seven-step listing process for example that we outlined over the past two podcasts? Or did you just say, "That was a fun podcast." I'll file that away. Do you use a pre-listing package every time? You know, we talked about the certified with the certified coaches this morning, the value of making sure all of the coaching clients are using the pre-qualification scripts before you even get to sending the pre-listing package. This is all part of the seven-step process. And you know, many of you are good but getting to great means you have to systematize at a higher level and stop having different rules for different situations. Sometimes you wing it, sometimes you don't. So good processes will make average people good, but good people great. What are you doing about that? What action are you taking? So something that comes up a lot in my premier coaching call, Tim, is it's not just, you know, how can you help me up with this? There's a difference between training and coaching. Coaching is here's the homework to implement this, and once it's done, here's the result that you should be getting. It's not just, hey, here's a couple things to chew on. It's the action steps that are required to move to that next level. And that's one of the reasons I really enjoy, you know, those calls. There's a very distinct um, result in helping people. You know, effort equals results. I see these great questions, and we have the tools to help people with. But of course, they've got to take that step to actually implement. So, yeah, the word process or systematize, that sounds pretty analytical. But if you want to just stay good and not get great, well, keep winging it half the time. I mean, don't so be about the, it. That's the fact. Go ahead. There are
0: lead follow-up rules that you need to follow. There are pre-qualifying yeah. uh, conversation outlines, a.k.a. scripts, that you need to be following for buyers and sellers. There's a listing presentation you need to follow. There's a seven-step listing process. There's all these systems that we already have in place. And when you guys become members of Premier Coaching, and especially those who are members of Premier Coaching, please do not waste time trying to figure it out. Just go to harrisrules.com, log in, and then download the information. Every single thing has a long-form audio explanation, usually done by Julia or myself or both, Explain to you how to use everything. You can attend the Premier Coaching Call live every day. You have a daily coaching call with Premier Coaching, and you can ask questions. You can go to the private Facebook page, and you can meet the other uh, Premier Coaching members and ask questions and uh, you know, share your success stories. That's mostly what that page has become. Premier Coaching is the system that you guys have been thinking you had to create on your own. Don't waste time. And I have news for you. A lot of the systems out there that are being sold are stupid with how much analytical BS detail they think you're supposed to be mastering. It's an absolute incredible waste of time. We've talked about the value of long-term lead follow-up, which is nothing. We've talked to you about the value of all these other things that you guys think you're supposed to be doing, and you waste your valuable time building these ridiculous systems because you don't have the experience to know that they're a waste of time. Just follow what we lay out for you in Premier Coaching. It's going to get you up the side of the mountain fastest with the least likelihood of any sort of bears eating you. Going back to the uh, walking up the top of the mountain with the Sherpa analogy, which we have to dust off again. Point number four, Julie.
1: Indeed. No substitute for a maniacal, single-minded pursuit of success. This is a huge point with regards to real estate professionals, but probably all the other types of people we have listening there's no substitute for maniacal, single-minded pursuit of success. So are you trying out real estate, or are you all in maniacal and decisive about your success? There are a hundred different places that I can apply this thought to our listeners and to real estate. I mean, there's, just take the approach to a listing presentation, right? So are you maniacal and single-minded about the success of the appointment that you are about to go on? What's the difference? The difference is the agent that walks up to the door who has already followed half of the seven-step process, who has a polished pre-listing package, has actually pre-qualified the seller, knows exactly what they're walking into. They know what price the seller has in mind. They know what their motivation is. They know what their time frame is. And they are there to take the listing. That's a huge difference between, well, you know, my manager told me that I can expect to take about 50% of what I go on, so we'll just see how it goes. I'll try it out. Huge difference in the maniacal, decisive mindset about your own success. Some of you, you know, it's it's that about just real estate in general. Well, I'm going to try real estate for a while. Yoda said, "There's no try. There's do or do not." Just to nerd out on everyone. It's a nice, memorable quote. Okay. So, I and I see this with coaching clients, especially in early on in the coaching relationship when you're asking lots of questions as a coach and you get a sense of how committed they are to their own success. That, I mean, that's a huge thing to know where somebody stands. Are they just kind of piddling around and seeing how it goes? You know, if you, if you don't need to make a living at it and you're just maybe supplementing your other job, that might be okay. But if you claim to be serious about it and you claim to be a full-time real estate professional, do your actions actually reflect that? Does your mindset reflect that? And, it, you know, here's the thing. When you're in front of prospects, whether they're buyers or sellers, they absolutely can tell whether you're trying it out, whether you're winging it, whether you're kind of BSing them and tap dancing half the time. They totally know. It's not hard to figure that out. So maybe that is related to your goals and where you are right now. How maniacal are you? How decisive are you about your own success? And that's not just... Real estate, of course. I could I could say that about Orange Theory. You know, are you just sort of hanging out on the treadmill and going on a nice walk, or are you well, actually look, studying your ability to run? Go ahead.
0: Make this make this practical. What do we always say? Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. The maniacal focus is the highest level part. You see how That's all right. these points are harmonious. What's the harmony? I need more caffeine today, clearly. In harmonious. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was trying to say. When it gets up to be about a five-syllable word to damn out, (laughs) it seems like it's happening.
1: Back to the coffee machine.
0: Back to the coffee. (laughs) Well, so this last, we've been getting a lot of questions because the market changes about uh, switching brokerages, and I want to talk briefly about that, and it coincides with our last point. All right, so I want to be very clear with all of you. Switching brokerages is not necessarily going to solve all your problems, and again, this is the number one question that we 've been getting in one form or another, and I know why you guys are asking about switching brokerages because a lot of you are panicking about your cash flow and you 're going to go to whatever source you can to see if you might be able to pinch a little bit here and there and'm so i 'm going to tell you right now if you 're in a big market like New York City or if you 're in a high end luxury market like the ones out in l a um, you don't have that many real viable options as far as switching brokerages. If you're with a Douglas Elliman, for example, and uh, you know what are your options really in New York City, for example, considering the prestige brand that they have? So stop wasting time looking for a better alternative. If you're in a very you know tight Manhattan-type market where your option is to go with one luxury brand or the other, you need to realize the fact that in those markets, those upper-end sellers – are incredibly specific about the brands they'll choose from. It's like, for example, Ferrari versus Rolls-Royce versus maybe Bentley. That's how those people think. So they're not going to basically allow somebody who's a Chevy dealer to come in and list the house that they think should be listed with some guy that sells Rolls Royces. Do you guys get the point? I know that's a little obtuse for some of you, but I want to make it really clear to save some of you from emailing me. If you're working in one of these ultra-high-end markets, you need to go with one of the ultra-high-end brokerages. And if you're in Manhattan in particular, I would definitely seriously consider Element. Now, number two, if for the, for the masses of you around the country – um, you need to reprioritize how you think about brokerage because for the vast majority of you, your brokers are offering basically the same thing. And If you're not in a market, that's, if you're in a, you know, basically a, one of the billions of agents around the country that are selling normal properties, normal price ranges, and occasionally picking off an upper end listing, this is a good opportunity for you to reconsider what brokerage you're with. And I do encourage you to have those conversations with Julie and I because we'll help you to sometimes um, give you some suggestions on what you can be expecting from your brokerage. But of all the brokerages that we've ever evaluated in all of our years in this business, and Julie and I were REMAX agents for most of our careers i re- 'll tell you the reason we went with Remax and we got our licenses is because they charged us eight hundred and fifty bucks It was a hundred percent commission and they stayed out of our business. That was it There was no required office meetings there was nothing that was our criteria We wanted to we knew had a good sense of what we needed to do to form our business. Julie and I had some mentors that helped us. To put our systems in place when we were first getting in the business. And so that was our criteria. We wanted to have the freedom to basically do what we wanted to do. And this was back in our, early, in our early 20s. And as a result of that, we sold 100 houses our first year in the business. If I were to get back in the real estate business right now and I were not in one of these high end luxury markets, frankly, the only brokerage I'd probably, well, the first brokerage I would seriously consider would be eXp Realty. And the reason is, is simply because what they're offering is the same, if not better than what most traditional brokerages offer. And at the same time, they offer equity stakes, equity stakes in the brokerage, but also equity stakes in the form of revenue share. That to me is exciting. And I'll tell you from a core level why it's exciting. When Julie and I were writing our last two books, We always have the last chapter be about wealth building, because ultimately that's what the vision, that's what we want all of you guys to realize, is the point of you being in business is for you to get rich, and rich is where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money, and most times that's going to be through buying rental properties. That has been what we've been saying forever: buy rental properties, save money, buy rental properties. That's what we did. That was the model that we followed. But in retrospect, if we had the opportunity to join EXP Realty when we are in our early 20s, and uh, build their revenue share uh, using the revenue share model. I'm telling you right now, I seriously, Julie's already told me she wouldn't want to, we wouldn't buy any rental properties. If there is no other path for normal people, which is what we were, which which is what most of you are, to form wealth in this country other than if you have a liquidity event from an IPO or some rich uncle passes away, well, God bless you, you got it lucky. But for the rest of us, it's through rental properties. But rental properties are not a sure they're not a straight arrow to success. They aren't. They take massive amounts of time, massive amounts of money, massive amounts of, you know, frankly, energies and finances that you could have been using towards something else. Vacationing, for example, how about that? Or not working is hard. So when, when we're writing our books, and we came across our last chapter in this new book that's coming out in June... And you start thinking about, well, here it is. We've showed people how to make money, how to build a successful business. Now they're able to make uh, profit out of their practices. Now what are they going to do with that profit? We just went back to what was familiar with buying rental properties. But I'm here to tell you that if I had to do it all over again, and I was presented with the opportunity that eXp Realty offers through the revenue share model, I guarantee you that's what we would do if we had to do it all over again in the last 20-plus years. There's no doubt in my mind that eXp Realty, because of the revenue share model that they offer, is going to change the lives of millions of realtors. And I see their statistics, and it's shocking to me. At the beginning of last year, they had 5,000 agents. At the end of last year, they had uh, 16,000. And some internal projections are they're going to have over 50,000. So Julie and I coach and train for brokerages all over the country. And most of the brokerages we personally coach and train for are luxury brokerages eXp Realty, at this point, it does not offer what those brokerages offer, in my opinion. So if you're in one of these high-end markets, the move is to choose the best luxury brokerage for you. And that's the reason we're advocates of the ones we talked We Basically, we'll tell you which ones and what we think. But if you're in most of the country and you're looking for an option to the brokerage that you're in and, the bro- and you go from one brokerage to the other and they're all offering basically the same thing, you need to look at eXp Realty. And this last point, I think, drives it home better than anything. An equity stake unleashes animal spirits in a way that high, high salary alone can't, uh, simply can't match. And that's the reason that they're growing so fast is because people are able to see a road forward where they can not only make money from selling real estate, but they can make money from the revenue share that they earn from the people that they sponsor that join eXp. So listen, here's what I'd like to do. For those of you who are interested in talking with me directly one-on-one about eXp Realty, I want you to email me directly, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com, and you and I will do an evaluation on the phone as to whether or not what the best fit for you is. And I'm doing this Because we are getting inundated with questions, not just about EXP, not just about one of the luxury brands that we work with, but just about switching brokerages in general. And a lot of you are profoundly confused about what the job of brokerage is supposed to do. And you're really confused about whether or not you're getting a fair shake at your brokerage and all the things that you know. should I be demanding this, should I I be demanding that? What you guys don't understand also is that most brokerages are making literally no money or almost no money. They're struggling. They make less than 3% profit. And as a result of that, what a lot of these brokers are because agents have been demanding more and more and more, especially over this past seller's market, a lot of these brokers are not going to make the transition from this market to the new market. They're just not. There's no way their lack of profitability is going to survive even a mild setback in housing sales, which is already occurring. So some of you are experiencing at your brokerages a uh, lack of services because they can't provide afford to provide them anymore. I, I need you to be empathetic towards your broker sympathetic towards your broker don't be so rigid and don't be so Don't be so jerky towards them because you don't know the hardship that a lot of these people are experiencing. The personal sacrifices that they've made in their own family fortunes and, frankly, their own life energy towards building this brokerage to provide a place for you to do business. A lot of these people are coming out of this seller's market worse than they were when they entered in. I'm talking about brokerages and brokers in general. So agents listening to me right now, I want you to remember what I told you. I don't, whatever your situation is at your brokerage, if you don't love it, I know a lot of you have been emailing us and asking questions about switching brokerages, like I said. I just want you to reframe your mindset and realize that being a broker just makes you a broker. It's one of the hardest things you can possibly do to eke any kind of profit out of it, uh, out of being a broker. So I, just all those just random thoughts in mind, if you want to talk with me about switching brokerages, If you want to have that conversation, email me directly, tim at timandjulieharris.com. And uh, really what I'd like to do is, uh, frankly, I'd like to kind of put it, help all of you guys see the clarity and understand really what a broker's position is. And a lot of you listening, we have 150,000 to 200,000 listen to us on a regular basis. A lot of you are getting into the business, and you're wondering, you email us all the time, what brokerage should I get into? I want you to email me, tim at timandjulieharris.com, and we'll have that conversation. All right? So a little bit of a different spin on the podcast today, but it's because we've been getting so many emails asking the same question. If you guys need us for anything, it's Tim at com or Julie at com. Have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs,